But before we get to him, the special guest, let's say hello to the brother like no other. My man, the executive producer, the technical director of this joint, Money Nathan. Good afternoon, sir. Greetings, everyone. Happy Saturday. Welcome to Calling All Beings. Man, it's good to be here. Good to be here with this guy. Uh, last time we talked with him was in September, so looking forward to catching up with him. We were due. We were due. Ironically, I was at Barber at... Kayla's race that weekend, and now they've moved Barbara to May. So next weekend, uh, she'll be at Barber. But uh, I, actually, I don't know. Maybe I will make the trip up there. Uh, but before we go any further, let's say hello to my sister from another mister, the centering cam of this joint, the soul of it. Just let your soul glow, Deb. Bonjour. <laughs> Everybody on here got a sense of humor, man. It's not just me, people. We're trying, you know. I can be serious. I can Absolutely. I can be serious, right, Nathan? Oh yeah. I, I, I yeah. I'm so serious. There have been those times. Um, so anyway, this gentleman we're about to bring on. Um, well, you know what? Before we even do that, let's do this, man. Oh wait, that was it. <laughs> Here we go. There we go. You catching it, Nathan? I, I can see our guest laughing in the background uh, off stage. So uh, this is Jotem Baptiste. Yeah. <laughs> that is what's up. All right. So Love it. this brother, you know, we endeavor to, there's so many of us uh, that are in, engaged in this topic from the U S and, and the UK, and we've made strong connections there. Thank God. Uh, but you know what? There are people from many, many other countries that are uh, into this topic uh, thanks, really, James Fox brought to us about uh, the Brazilians uh, and, and has made inroads there so that they know that, that we're, we're listening to them and we're watching them and they're engaged. And um, uh, Vinny, obviously, with the Colombians, with Ash and, and Priscilla was just down there with them. Well, this gentleman right here has an endeavor that hopes to uh, bring together, uh, bring data from many, many sources and uh, funnel them into... Um, uh, a central database where, where our data set is not going to be, well, this country has this and that country has that and this country has this. So um, I, I was uh, honored that he made the, his presentation. I got to see what it was all about. Um, he became pretty well known after uh, he had Lou Elizondo on his program. So he's a brilliant man from uh, France. Uh, he's more well-spoken than me, but then again, I guess half, probably three-quarters of Francis. So, uh, party people, put those hands together for Baptiste Freeze Car! Hello, thank you very much. Thank you for having me. Can I get an amen for Baptiste? Amen, amen. Welcome amen. back. Yeah. What's going on, brother? I'm, I'm sending you a real French tune so you can, uh, you can lift off with that one. <laughs> okay, please do that. Yeah. Uh, well, you know, you missed it last week. I played two 
uh, I, what are those artists that I played? They're they're sort of uh, electronic music. Would we call that Nathan? I played the mm, last two times. Punk. Huh? Daft Punk? No, yeah. no. I'll I'll send them to you. But I absolutely love these artists, and I believe that they're both French. And it's sort of uh, it has singing in there, but I believe it's all electronic music. I don't care. It sounds damn good. That's all I need mm-hmm. to know about it. Anyway, welcome, brother. How are you? I'm fine. Thank you very much for having me on the greatest show on YouTube. <laughs> Thank hey, you so much. Can I get an amen Woo, right there? Man, appreciate that. This rides on us, Baptiste. We appreciate that. No, no, I'm, and I speak by heart. I feel like home here, so thank you very much. Awesome. Yeah, um, so, uh, so basically, you know, that one of the reasons that, you know, we're getting, I'm glad, we, you know, we do... Nathan will always ask me, can, you know, we've had this particular individual on, uh, we'd like to bring them back on. So we do like to have guests back on that we've had, but, uh, this particular, um, time is, you know, that you, uh, uh, you, you made a presentation about this endeavor that you have and you know what, before we even get into that, I'm, I'm really curious to ask you is, um, is there something like that happened in your past that that has made you this sort of passionate disclosure advocate that you are? What what was that that beginning? No, not at all. Uh, quite the opposite. I have no taste for that field in particular. I, I like to I like knowledge. I like to learn things, but from any field, uh, what uh, pointed me towards uh, UFOs? What was uh, my students. Uh, so every couple, I, I'm a teacher, I'm an art teacher by trade, and every couple of years I update my lessons. And uh, to update my lessons, I ask them what they are interested in. And in exchange, I offer them that they can ask me any question they want, and I will find the answer. And the last time I did that was in 2017, September 2017, and 80% of my students, so that's around 300 students, Upvoted the question, what are UFOs? So I uh, looked around in the literature I could find, which was dirt, and I said to them, it's nothing, just hallucinatory pose of a brain, don't, don't worry about it. And then a couple of months later, December 2017, the New York Times published its articles. So I had to go back to them and say, I'm so, I'm very sorry, I was mistaken, there is a reality on that phenomenon, and I will uh, endeavor to find the answer, because now I'm humiliated. <laughs> Amazing. You know, but you, that puts you in a, like, the overwhelming majority of the world's population felt that way. And yeah. it's only a, a seminal event uh, that changed that, and, and it was a tangent of the exact same event not that changed my belief that it was there, but sort of empowered me to want to talk about it. Mm-hmm. So um, I'm gonna I'm gonna pass you to money, Nathan. But before I do, I want to welcome back somebody who was sick in the hospital. Uh, she is our chat moderator, Julie, uh, the jewel of of Indiana, as we call her, who happens to be residing in Alabama. So Julie, welcome back. Thank you so much. Uh, we're so glad that you're back. And uh, I hope to speak with you soon. I'm, I'm glad that you smell bread. I wish I was eating it. Uh, <laughs> anyway, uh, let me pass you over to the capable hands of the co-conspirator of Cab Money Nathan. Awesome. Uh, yeah, so Baptiste, the last time we chatted with you was in September. So it's been quite a long time. Oh, yes. And you, I, every day I feel like you're posting stuff, you're sharing stuff. 
if you, to me, you seem like a tireless researcher, but what's kind of going on since then? What, what have you been working on and what's on the horizon? We'd love to hear about it. Yeah, sure. So uh, in France, we have um, a public office about UFOs that is uh, financed by the, the French NASA. It's called the JEPAN. The, the senior researcher of JEPAN uh, decided to create in its own structure, which is called UAP Check. The idea is to give the uh, software he designed inside the Japan uh, accessible to the public. But around that, we want to build an all-encompassing project to work on increasing the level of quality of information regarding UAPs. So uh, what I've been doing on Twitter, and <laughs> it was quite an extensive work, was to design a way to find any piece of information as soon as it was published and to find ways of automating that work. So we are creating uh, now a, a software that is doing automatically that work of looking in the internet for reliable sources and then pull up the information automatically. So you don't have to go in 10 different uh, uh, news, uh, news sites and they are all vying for, uh, to be the first to break the information. Whoever breaks the information, we will relay the information. So that's the main point of that part of the software. Another part will be um, a personal research. So you can do that when you have reliable sources, but when you have an information by uh, images from somebody unknown or somebody new, the software can't recognize it. So we will have a team that is designed to do my work, that is to look for reliable and interesting piece of information, and at a planetary level. Right now, as the search engine is designed to observe the language you are using, it's limiting the answers to the language you are looking for. So there is a whole work to do with different types of keywords in all the languages we use on Earth to look for information everywhere. And we can then also do that in the past. So once we taught, once we will have to teach the software to do that at the present time, we can ask him to do that in the past and to look for specific areas of information. So for example, any article that was between the 15 and 17 April 1974 uh, with the word UFO inside on 10 kilometers around that town, and it will look for that information. So that's the idea of that tool. So not only find the information, but find the information everywhere and at every time. Wow. <laughs> Wow, that won't be enough. That won't be enough. So, <laughs> That's uh, incredible. So, and so you've been you've been kind of testing it out. So it sounds like the things that I see you posting and sharing, you're you're pulling from that engine that is in development. That it's it's already working in some respect. No, I'm the I'm the test group. So okay. I'm trying my hardest to beat it, and he's trying his hardest to beat me. Wow. And we are fine tuning it uh, as long as there is a difference between the two. Incredible. So far, this sounds like MotoGP today with <laughs> Pekka Banyaya and Mark Marquez uh, trying as hard as to be one another and touching one another up a little bit. Um, Deb, you know, you as a, as a person who researches data and looks for archives and, and places where information is, is sort of hidden and, and you found so much of it, I have to think that this is pretty intriguing for you. Yeah, actually, one thing I've discovered is that once a topic 
gets put out in the media, it like almost pollutes Google. Like if you go to Google, you have to go like 10 pages in before you're getting that same thing over and over. I cannot tell you how many gimbal pictures I have seen doing searches. I'm very tired of it. What happens though when I find things is it's like a backdoor. Like sometimes there's a website that's not even linking something, but still has that on a page and you find something. So I've been really on top of what Baptiste has been putting out because he's finding things that are much harder to find with Google right now. And it's amazing. So I really appreciate your work, Baptiste. Oh, thank you very much. But it's a tremendous work made by Michael Vaillant to, to design the whole search engine by himself. I'm only the test group in the operation. And well, I wanted to come back to one thing that you said, just, just, just so that I have the clarity on it. So if, did I understand you correctly that the UAP check is a product of Japan? Like that it's no, not at all. Uh, Michael Vaillant made in large parts the technology that is used by the Japan, but the technology is is his. So now we are offering that technology to everyone that wants to use it. And the uh, search engine is only a small part of the technology we have. Got it. Wow. Uh, a shout out to uh, All Things Unexplained. Our new homies are going to do that big round table with us. These guys are so cool, uh, and in July, uh, they're going to do a, 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 gi a mega roundtable with Cab, and hopefully there'll be like 10 of us on there. It'll be ridiculous, and uh, we're all going to have a topic, so everyone's going to have to brainstorm for that episode. So what's up, party people? Uh, thank you all. We appreciate what you all do as well. Very excited about that. Uh, and Nathan, man, you got to talk to Noctivigent, man. We got to get one with them, too, man. Absolutely. <laughs> Those friends. guys are awesome. Yeah. <laughs> they that. were. They were so cool. Um Baptiste, so it can you uh, set something that you did for me was to say, uh, okay, if somebody I'm, I'm a person and well, obviously you guys knew that I was probably a person anyway, although there's some question. I have some <laughs> doubts. I, I, I'm, I'm pointing some doubts here. Mm -hmm. is, is, mm -hmm. is here. I have some yeah. doubts here on the no. screen. We, we do. I, yeah. I think there is there is doubt, but. You know, you, you ran through for me what it would be like if someone has a, a particular encounter and they want to report it and what happens at that point. So I think that's a good jumping off point to speak about the technology. Yeah, sure. So that's another part of the technology made by Michael Vaillant. Uh, in, inside the Japan, they designed uh, a method to cancel out bias. So the problem you have when you uh, are working with human intelligence is that humans have an ego, humans have a brain, and they interpret data. So, and what you want is the pure data. So you need to have a whole system that seems simple from the outside, but is designed to cancel out any input you could add to a signal. So we can extract only the information we need to be sure of what you saw. The idea is that the software does that automatically and is perfectly transparent. So it shows you what is the information collected and what it compares it to. So the witness can choose uh, where the software is agreeing with him or not and the uh, percentile of correspondence between what the witness saw and describes and what the database can explain. And then if the witness thinks nothing uh, fits the description of the software, it can edit a full uh, witness report and send it to a ground investigator. And the ground investigator has a full 
cancel out bias report with the citing and every piece of information we could gather. It's a filter, basically, so that they, they can say, you know, they may legitimately think, I don't know what this is, and I, it could be something. And for that person, this is going to offer them an opportunity for a prosaic explanation for what they saw before they say, I saw something that is 100% anomalous. Because we think that everybody knows, you know, uh, I, I think there is a portion. I think that there is something in all of us. And depending upon the length and breadth and the characteristics of what you're looking at can discern this is not something that is is man-made. This is something that is, I'm looking at something that's, you know, that's how I felt when I had my sighting when I was a teenager. And I had no aviation knowledge, you know, back then other than that I loved aviation. Um, so um, some people, you know, this is going to offer them that opportunity to see because they may not have decided what it is yet. Whereas no, others may see something and be like, oh, this is this is stone cold. This is close encounters. Go ahead, my friend. I'm sorry. That's very, no, I, I interrupted. Uh, that's very true because we have the statistical data from the witnesses because we have been doing that for, since uh, 1977. So uh, when you have the data from the witness, it's accurate at 90%. There is 10% that is a mistake from the, the specific eyesight of the witness or the specific lightning of the time of the day. But 90% is true. The problem is that after the data that is recorded by the brain, the mind trying to explain it. It looks like a plane. It looks like a balloon. And that's when you have a modification of the memory to fit what the brain thinks it is, because it's simpler for the brain to cover it with a simple explanation. So the, the whole problem we have is to cancel out that narrative that is created by the brain to explain the phenomenon and just get back to what it looked like, but what it was. That's amazing. Yeah, the, the key task here is separating the signal from all of the noise. And there undoubtedly is a lot of noise that is out there in uh, social media. If someone's saying they're seeing something, they're posting about it. Uh, how many videos have we all seen of someone saying they think it's something, but it's actually just the Starlink satellites crossing the sky? Something this was gonna is gonna help folks eliminate that and move it to the side and and leave hopefully the really good stuff, the truly anomalous uh, content left for us to analyze. Now, is it? Um, one question I have for you is: Is the is it, is it like an app that will be on the phone or, or on a wet a wet website? How is uh, the user interacting with UAP Check? Sure, it's a simple form. You can go on the internet with through the website, and you fill out the information. It takes between thirty seconds to five minutes, depending on the amount of information you collected, and then you have automatically what is uh, the the results. Amazing. And when when will it be? Is it live now? When will people be able to use it? Uh, we're thinking the summer for the for this part of the software. Fantastic! Awesome, <laughs> we're close. It's it's already working right now. It's just very ugly. It's like Windows ninety five uh, type of tool because we didn't need to have an interface before. It was just an internal software. Right, right. Um, that's fantastic. Well, one question I have for you. Um, I wanted you because I know you've thought about this a little bit. So, what do you think is going to happen? when and if the topic becomes more mainstream, there's been a lot of folks who've kept it afloat. Like, uh, you know, our show is an example, but a very small example of keeping the interest in this topic alive. 
um, the the researchers. The, I'm thinking of people like the David Marlers who've who've got a tremendous archive of information about uh, black triangles, uh, keeping that torch, that flame alive until the wider sort of world begins to pay attention. What do you see happening when that shift occurs? Do you see kind of a handoff occurring there? Do you do you see uh, a greater institutional investment and awareness? Uh, is the role that kind of these small players have played, will it just kind of fade away or will there be a, will there be a partnership? What, what do you think will happen there? I think there will be an historical retcon. I think that uh, the only way that society will accept it is to say that they always accepted it and it was an illusion that there was stigma. Mm. It's what happens when you have scientific revolution. All of a sudden, one day, everybody agrees that there is a new paradigm in town and it was just the old days where people didn't think that way. So that's what will happen and there won't be any trouble. It will just be a shift for those like us that have been aware of what it was in the time. But for most of the people, that subject that doesn't even exist in their reality. It's just that it will pop inside their reality one day. Mm. The response, well, of course it's true. I always knew that was true. Right? That's the, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's yeah. right. That, yeah. I, 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 I think I hear that now from people that, that like about 24 months ago were like, oh, pfft. like, Absolutely. yeah, little green man. Absolutely. So. I, uh, stigma, uh, to give you an idea, a statistical point, uh, one year and a half ago, I could concentrate every piece of reliable information uh, in 10 tweets per week. I'm at 25 tweets a day. It's, yeah. It's right. tremendous. It's, it's yeah. tremendous. Can't there's keep so up. much yeah. more out there. Um, I want to get a question in from the chat. Uh, These are uh, the hosts of, uh, actually, they're the authors of, uh, they wrote a book, The Bigfoot Influencers, and they also have a podcast, uh, Tim and Dana. And they want to know, uh, I'll, I'll weigh in this too, but I want to get Baptiste. If we witness a sighting, what should we immediately write down slash log about it? So what do you think that they should should copy down uh, when they see something, Baptiste? So I will presume that they have a phone on them because that's, that's our situation where everybody has a phone on themselves. So if you have a phone, you have your GPS coordinates. So you need to record your GPS. You just go to Google Maps, select your position, and record the point you create on the map. So that gives you the GPS. Then you take uh, a picture of the whole field in front of you, centered on the on where you saw the point. We really need to have the field of view with the ground or pieces of uh, buildings or trees somewhere so we can find the reference. Don't try to estimate the elevation by yourself or the distance by yourself. The human brain is very, very bad at that. Even, even trained military people are very bad at that. So don't waste time doing that. Just take a picture with a wall field and pieces of ground. And in the picture, you put the point where you saw it. And that's all we need as a piece of information. Inside the software, you will have um, the same thing. You will have a map. You point the map. You draw an arrow towards the point you are looking at. Uh, you show how high where your, was leveled your head to give us an inclination. And then the software does the cross-referencing with the databases. That is great stuff uh, right there because I didn't I never really thought about that. But, yeah, you need to like you said, you need to see the area around it and then you could zoom in and get as close as you can after you capture the area and, you know, try to zoom in on what the object is. The other thing is you're listening for sound. 
And so if, you know, dirigibles don't necessarily make any sound, but then if it makes a movement that is uncharacteristic, a rapid movement in one direction or another at 90 degree angles, that's something, and, and you're not hearing a correlated engine noise or noise of a, some sort of a propulsion with it, that is something that would get my attention right away. Uh, and there's there's other things I'm not going to, you know, in terms of light sources that I, I don't want to go into here, uh, but anybody can reach out to me and I can give you sort of the checklist that I would go through if I was looking at something to try to figure out if, if it was anomalous beyond the, the just the gut feeling. But that's the main thing is do I hear something and is it moving uncharacteristically of what we call an aircraft, um, moving at right angles, uh, starting and stopping quickly, and no apparent sound associated with with that. So anyway, so um, I, I would sorry. I would oppose to that because uh, there is also a, a counter bias. So by restricting too much the amount of information you put in, uh, you are really limiting the number of real cases that are uh, happening. So that's why in the in the software you have like. 10 to 15 pages that describe the event uh, piece by piece of so movement, size, shape, colors, movement of colors, movements of the craft, because every piece of this information is important to reach a conclusion afterwards. So by it's really interesting your way of doing it when you have like 200,000 cases in a database and you want the really, really good one. You want the top 0.5% of the cases, so and that, that work, that's working. But when you're working with human intelligence, you really need to expand the funnel and then to work on each report. You're absolutely right. I'm sort of, people, a couple different podcasts I've been on, they ask me, what do I look for if I, or what would I look for if I saw something to evaluate whether it was anomalous or not? But you are right. You need to widen out that funnel, capture all the data, and then let the experts uh, go in and look at it and evaluate it and discriminate, as Nathan said, filter out the signal from the noise. Mm. So yeah, you, you're you're right. I'm I'm thinking in a sort of a different context than uh, yeah, sure. That's two so, different yeah. methodologies yeah. for two different outputs. Thanks. Yep. Um, but let's go to Deb. I, I don't. I want to leave Deb. How you doing, girlfriend? Yeah, I have a couple questions actually that I want to <clears throat> really touch on. The first is we talked about partnership and kind of making this available to the public. Um, I know that there are countries that are just not getting recognized as they should be like, you know, Mexico has a lot of um, stuff going on and they have a lot of serious researchers that actually involve themselves with their governments, you know, Chile, um, Peru, you know, so it goes on and on. So I wanted to know um, if any of those people um, from those organizations are working with you on this. And the second part of that is, will the results be public also? Uh, what type of results? Um, when you do all the analysis, when people are reporting, is that going to be available for people to see in return? Okay. So uh, for the first question, we are currently briefing every association and uh, research group we can find about the subject and at a planetary level. That's, that's why it's taking us so much time to reach out to everybody and to explain what we are doing to everybody. Because we don't want to blind sign anyone. And as you said, there are a tremendous amount of groups that are looking into it right now. And it's increasing day by day. And indeed, we have contact with uh, almost the whole Earth at that point. And uh, ask 
what it is for uh, the results. Yes, so that's another part of the project. So in the in the other part of the project would be the scientific studies. So all the data we can uh, collect from the software will be available publicly for researchers. Evidently, we will be protecting the personal inf information of the witness. And we will design specific tools so you can have a constant uh, 3D map of all the sightings that are currently happening and different tools that allows you to scroll through different periods of time and different places. And Deb, you're mentioning you had another question. So if you have something else that you want to yeah, get the in second, there before we move the on. The second please. one was the results part, but I guess I'm, I will just throw this question out there and see how you'd handle it. Um, a lot of people do report having personal physical experiences with UAPs. And I was just wondering if you're going to touch on that experience or aspect, or if it's just going to be about seeing the object. So right now it's a UAP check. So we are checking what is pretty much an aerial phenomena that is flying in the environment of a witness. And we have a specificity in France. We have one association that is called the CERO. Uh, C-E-R-O, that is uh, uh, giving uh, psychological support to close encounter witness. And we have a world laboratory that is called the CIRCE, C-I-R-C-E-E, -E, uh, that is a state-funded laboratory that is giving also psychological help to close encounter witness. I love that. So, so basically, you're not set up yet to deal with experiencers and that sort of uh, the the narratives and the unpacking of of those sorts of experiences. Am I am I do I have that right? That's not where our expertise lies. Okay. Oh, there you go. I mean that that's a great thing right there. Um, so I, I was going to ask you, uh, Baptiste, in terms of um, say this, taking the temperature of of France, and you know one of the reasons is because we you are sort of our link to France at this point. I hope that some of your colleagues and, and uh, compatriots and friends will come out. And, and by the way, you can sort of send them over to speak with us because we, we do want to get more engagement from people, like I said, beyond just you know the couple of countries that, we're, that are contributing and we know that they're out there. But where do you see your country, France, at right now in terms of this topic? When you do you, when you speak in public about it with uh, or in you know parties or so forth with colleagues what is what are you what's your assessment of what we're looking at now so it changed it changed a lot in the last two years you, you really notice so the, in every newspaper that is uh, publishing an article about it there is no jokes anymore nowhere to be found so and it's quite impressive because as french we love to ridicule so it's very very extreme to see that in just two years all the jokes disappeared uh, and you only hear them when uh, somebody is asked on the tv on the tv and um, he hasn't prepared an answer so he tries to to, to cancel out the question by a joke. But even then, the, the journalist launches back the question and wants to have an answer. So it's quite interesting. But we don't have the culture you have in the US where we talk about problems. So as long as the US will be the one talking out loud about it, there is just no interest for France to talk about it because you are taking all the risk and all the heat for it. So we will be following... As long as you are willing to talk about it, <laughs> if you reach out disclosure by yourself very well, and then if you fail, we will take the, the, 
the, the next position and we will try to reach out to disclosure. Yeah, this is very much uh, if you had the ex a very, very similar design to the Wright brothers and you were aware of it, it's like, hey, let them go out and flight test out on Kill Devil Hills, see how they do. And if then they do, we'll go we'll go run our test. You know, <laughs> yeah, um, let, you let also need to consider that we are a different country, so we are not sure that all the craft we are witnessing aren't American prototypes of a breakthrough technology. So we have to be cautious. We have to be cautious, too. Yeah. Now, I, I've, I've spoke uh, at length about sovereignty. A lot of people think that the United States is controlling what other countries are doing, and that really belies the notion of sovereignty, particularly when, unless you have a country who's, you know, their domestic, uh, you know, product is dependent upon U.S. aid to, you know, to survive, and, and uh, France is certainly not one of those countries. So, um, so I have a question from the... Arrow gentleman here, and this one is off the cuff, has nothing to do with what we've been talking about today, but I think we can get Baptiste and everybody else to react to it. Is Bob Lazar's UFO story true or false? Baptiste, you first, and then we'll go Deb and Nathan, or Nathan and Deb. It's unproven. What do you, your, if your gut feeling, your opinion? I don't care about it. It's unproven. There is nothing to okay. prove it. Oh, very data-driven. I love it. Look at this, man. We got another TJ Allard in here, Nathan. Yeah, I. Um, I mean, it's fascinating, right? The the George Knapp, uh, the story in the '80s, and uh, some facts that uh, later turned out to be true. But he's certainly a super controversial uh, figure. Um, so I think, as Baptiste is, is alluding to, it's there's there's so much. Um, there's so many confusing aspects to the story that it's difficult to say this has a lot of, at least right now, a lot of validity uh, that we can kind of hang our hat on that. Um, like a lot of things in UFO lore, it it is fraught with some confusing elements that make it difficult to parse uh, truth from fiction. So I don't know. It'll be interesting. And certainly, I will credit Bob Lazar for getting a lot of folks interested in the topic. Uh, so at the end of the day, whether it's true or not, it, it's certainly gotten a lot of attention. And I tend to think that that, that is a net positive overall. So that's a great point. I've never heard that pointed out before. People just look at the edit, it, look at Nathan to sort of color between the, um, go outside the lines there, say it's either true or it's false. Well, this is, you know, Nathan likes to find what's positive about a person or a situation. And he was just able to do it right there and extract something positive out of Lazar, whether you believe him or not, more people are talking about it. Debs. So I, this one's tough for me because I don't like to say negative things about people, mm -hmm. <laughs> but I will say that I am aware of his background not being very solid. And I am aware of some of his friends and what their motives might've been for the story to get out. Um, so that kind of, changes my view of what he's presenting but i want to clarify that when the avro car was being made people did come out and say i saw you know saucers inside with the uh, u.s government and no one believed them so whether or not he saw something or how he worked there who knows don't know there might be some element of truth to what he's saying is what i'm willing to say 
Uh, that's that's very fair. And I've always said to people, there's nothing wrong with saying, you know what, uh, the story doesn't resonate with me. I, I don't believe it. Uh, and that's acceptable than rather going into launching. What some people will do is a launch into an entire tirade, tearing apart the person from top to bottom, which you really don't need to do. You can just say, I don't believe it or I don't believe him. For me personally, um, looking at all of the evidence that I've heard, not looking at his character because you don't know how many uh, of these guys uh, that work at classified facilities or at strip clubs and doing God knows what. Um, it's it's not like uh, they don't have regular lives and and you don't know what they do when they're when they're not on site. What I would say is, in my opinion, there is enough. Uh, evidence that he worked at a couple of the places that he worked. I know that, uh, particularly at the time frame of the 80s, I know from my own uh, college that I went to that if a federal uh, agent went in there and said, give me these records, uh, paper, they would disappear um, if, if that's what they wanted to happen. And I'm not a con – anybody here can tell you I'm not a conspiracy theorist. So I think that there – he, I have heard enough based on EG&G, &G, based on some of the procedures for um, getting uh, onboarded at a, at a place like the Groom Lake Test Facility or Air Force Debt 3, whatever it's called over there at Groom Lake. There's enough of that to lead me to believe that he probably worked there and he probably saw, saw something. Uh, and, you know, you have people like George Knapp that, that brought it out there, and I don't think that he would make up a story I, to become famous or anything like that. I think um, he did a lot of background checking and figured out that this guy worked there. What he saw when, when he worked there, nobody knows. Unless you worked there, you won't have any idea what he saw. Could he have fabricated what he saw there? Yes. But the fact that he worked there, uh, and then when you listen to people like Rick Doty, who also worked there, and said that there is some um, – he did not get into the area where Bob supposedly worked, uh, but that there is a um, – uh, he did see some things that he could not explain in the couple of TDYs he did out there. So um, I think there's a good portion of that are true, his, char his personal character notwithstanding. Let's get back to France. <laughs> So uh, I will uh, I will I will add something on that. So uh, what I really like are timelines, and um, what, what always interested me is that Laza came out in '82, if I remember well, and talking about uh, Area 51. And before Area 51, what was the main interest of the UFO community when they were looking for crash retrievals? Uh, what Wright Patterson Roswell. Right Patterson Air Force Base. Yep. Mm -hmm. yep. It was where the Blue Book project was said, including mm -hmm. its secret part. And since then, the shift has always been on Area 51. And in intelligence, we call that a magic trick. You, you show a light here so people don't look here. Well, let's talk about that for a second. So if you want to flight test something that's, uh, that you don't want eyes on, how would you go about doing that? Are you going to uh, launch test flights out of suburban southern Ohio in Dayton? No, you, you can't do that. So you have to earmark a place that's so far out of the way, and then you have to restrict airspace around it 
so that as a commercial airliner, you can't even fly over this airspace. So you can't get there over the air. You can't get there on the ground. And that's where you would conduct any, I would want to test anything that flies is somewhere where it is very difficult for the public to see it, which is why when they talk about like the Calvine incident and they're, you know, launching it out over, over Scotland where there's villages right around there, that's not something you would really want to do. I'm sorry, go ahead. Yes, but you are talking here about man-made crafts. Man-made crafts have a signature. They are real. You, you, you can see them. You can hear them. The crash retrieval units we are talking out by design are stealth beyond any extent that we have right now. And it was already stealth 70 years ago. So you can land them and use them whenever you want. Well, if you have if you have an area like Dayton, Ohio, for example, and you have a craft lift up to about 500 foot AGL, I mean, you have people for miles <laughs> that can see whatever that is. Like, let let's say that he's telling the truth, and I and and someone was able to test some sort of a saucer, you know, and and was able to. I don't know that that happened, you know. That's a whole discussion in itself, and we'll never, we'll never know until we know, so to speak, uh, whether they were able to put a human inside one of these craft and actually fly it, right? But oh, but you, you had design at the time, but we are really looking towards it. You have the Russian thermoplan, and you have, as Deb said, the Avro. Mm -hmm. You could really make people think that it was UFOs. Mm -hmm. You even have Fravor uh, describing events where he was doing nighttime flights above the desert, uh, locating uh, ground uh, uh, fires with a compass and uh, going very low above them, then roaring the giants so people thought it was UFOs. So mm -hmm. it's a very long tradition. Yeah, it's, it's, again, it, it, it depends if you, if you understand what you're looking for and listening for. Some sort of a craft like that looks like a saucer, like an Avro car type of thing. Now what we're talking about is you have to have a turbine engine with a bunch of different ducted exhaust over there, sort of like if anyone's seen the video of Neil, uh, Neil Armstrong testing out the... Actually, he wasn't testing. He was practicing in the lunar lander outside of Houston, and one of the rockets misfires, and it, and it kind of starts to, to, to arc over, and he pulls the ejection seat, and he flies out of it. If you have something like that, the amount of fuel that you would need, I mean, basically, you would have to have the entire saucer would have to be a fuel tank in order to be able to hover, it would make an enormous amount of, of noise uh, with the technology that we have in order to, uh, to be able to hover and be stable and go forward. So, I mean, it very much would fly like the way that a drone flies, except it would be a lot of speeder spings and flyweights to duct the, the thrust exhaust coming out of that engine, and it just would not do for, for what a UFO actually is. With the, with the possible exception of the thing that Lonnie Zamora uh, saw, that kind of, I mean, if it's exactly as he says, it kind of lends itself to something like that. But, um, but that's not, if it, again, if I'm testing things like that, I don't want to be testing it over suburban uh, Dayton, Ohio, but I would want to test it, something like that, out there in the middle of nowhere in the desert where I know people cannot get a, a good view of, of what I'm testing. 
Uh, and they picked a perfect spot to do that. And it, by the way, it's not the only spot. <laughs> there's, there's, you know, Dugway in Utah. There's China Lake in California. And then there's places that I don't even know about, uh, probably several of them. So I think that is where you would test something, try to fly something if you were going to do that. And, and that's why. Whereas perhaps these bodies or pieces of this wreck these wreckages have been brought to a place where they have underground I mean, Kirtland Air Force Base also has underground areas, and so does uh, so does Wright Patterson. That's where you would want to be able to do deep analysis on any sort of a biology that you captured or materials. Um, Wright Patterson would be perfect, but certainly not for flying and flight testing. Um, anyway, yeah. well, and I think you both highlight just the challenge here in in looking at the history of this topic because it it is muddied quite a bit by secrecy and subterfuge and, and Baptiste, you know, you point this out, I think very clearly that uh, the, the, the tools and the tricks that the secret keepers have are uh, they're, they're, they're pretty powerful and they're pretty uh, um, persuasive um, in the how, and the way they can use misdirection uh, to get people looking in a different way. So it's not just steering public opinion, for example, it's during the opinion of your adversaries, right? So if you can, okay. so if you can say, as, as you said earlier, look over here and not over here, then then things can be accomplished in secrecy uh, to a, a greater degree. Um, and I was wondering, you know, kind of in light of that challenge there, uh, unearthing the truth from a lot of the uh, of this information, um, where do you see the role of AI kind of going forward in the future, piecing that that apart, looking through that haystack of information and gleaning out some some facts and truth in, in amidst all the different narratives there so the problem with ai is that it's very very bad as truth it's very very bad as finding the truth it's very good at telling you what you want to hear and uh, guessing what you want to hear but it's very very bad at truth and to be honest, we don't use AI in any of, your, of our software because we want to have open box of, um, uh, of uh, so, sorry, uh, algorithms because we want to know exactly how a piece of information landed there, why a piece of information landed there, and to be perfectly definite inside the software. Right. I mean, it's only as good as the way that you uh, incentivize the AI to look for certain things. Right. So but it, I mean, you could program it to say, look for specific pa fact patterns, look for um, another example that I've heard that I think is a good example of using AI in this instance. I agree with your general premise, but a good example of this is looking at old newspaper articles from from a long time ago, before the world was rapidly connected in the way that it is now via the internet. And if you can look at different articles from different publications, from, from publications around the world, and if language is similar in those publications, that can tell you that there was a source perhaps that fed that information to those publications that the world at the time would not have known it came from a single source because there wasn't that degree of interconnectedness. But the AI would be able to aggregate that, analyze that, and see that there may be uh, a thread, so to speak, in this example that ties those different pieces of information together. I, I totally agree, though. It's a tremendous challenge, right? Because we, we have to be careful how we are 
programming it, what kind of algorithmic bias we're putting into the AI, being aware of that those biases, that's super important in everything that we're going to be doing with that kind of technology is making sure that those, those uh, you know, software biases are front and center. So as we peruse and, and ingest that information, we know, oh, it's, 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 it's going to be leaning and, and weighting information of a certain kind more than another kind. So to kind of take that with a little bit of a, a digital grain of salt, if you will. And to circle about, about what we just said, the problem in that field is that you have disinformation. So you have false tracks of research that has been left behind to waste your time. So uh, your artificial intelligence, if you design it for it, will find them, but it won't be able to know if it's a good track or a false track, and you will be uh, forced to do that work anyway. Yeah, yeah I, I think what Nathan might say, though, if, if you respond, Nathan, is that it could shorten your your time frame if it could eliminate some possibilities and give you places to look. Yeah, to absolutely. Focus. I mean, yeah, I mean, if it, if it can shorten that that task of collection, mm -hmm. right, and it can say, hey, we analyzed X number of different pieces of information, documentation, publications, et cetera. We found this frequency of uh, of information that I was looking for. You know, that may help me in understanding the uh, the degree to which that particular claim, for example, at least made it into publication or made it into documentation. I still have to, I think this is the valid point here, I still have to judge whether or not that is in fact true. Uh, just because it appears everywhere doesn't ma make it true. And I think that's one of the biggest things that we've all learned in the last decades about our media. Just because it shows up in all of our media doesn't make it actually <laughs> a true thing. Right, we have to use a certain degree of discernment there. What? Um, yeah, right. It's it just, again, it just highlights I think the the tremendous challenge that we have here um, about getting to the truth. Right? Who, who, what, where does the does the information come from in order for the public to say this is true? So. Uh, I think I can't talk too much about it because it's just on the on the drawing board. But we are designing a tool that is very specific to gather quotes from people, locate the quotes, and corroborate the quotes. So, for example, that would be a much more useful tool for a journalist than an artificial intelligence able to look for just patterns of words. Because then, when you have two or three times the same quote that is corroborated you are pretty sure it's true and you just need to recheck one time and you're sure it's true. And you don't need to rely on the context. It's just plain words of in quotes. So that's one of the tools we are working on. Not And, and I'm not uh, anti-AI. It's just that we are very cautious about it because we are in a field where you have literal information that are made as weapons to destroy your uh, thought logic. Yeah, I think that's great. I'm glad that you are because you should be right. It's a it's a it's a powerful and off, it can potentially be a dangerous tool. So uh, I think that's very smart to be cautious there. If there's one thing that I figured out about Baptiste in these two visits with us, he's smart. Uh, oh, thank <laughs> you so much, DJ. Um, oh, no, I, I have to invite you to dinner. Come to France, Paris. Uh, I would love now. to. It's one of my favorite <laughs> countries. Um, you know, the UK and France, I just get such a great feeling every time I'm there. Um, so I, we have a couple questions, but I, I want to get Deb in there first, and then we'll go to Michael's questions from the chat and Julie's questions. So please go ahead, Miss Deb. 
Yeah, so I wanted to speak to this concept of truth and how people respond to information really quick, because as we know, not that long ago, maybe about a year ago, Lockheed just put this craft outside to be photographed that looked like a saucer. <laughs> um, a, and a, about a couple of years ago, a craft was actually going down the beltway in, I believe, Maryland or Virginia that looked like a saucer. And people were just like, oh, okay, well, it's obviously not going to be one, right? So what if we're just kind of guinea pigs? You know, like sometimes I wonder about that. The CIA openly admitted they told people there were UFOs at one point in time to cover up one of their projects. And there's an article about that if anyone wants to look at it. So it does make me wonder, like, how are we going to actually get the truth and believe the truth and digest that? Um, because so many tricks have been done. So many like, well, ha ha, well, here's our saucer kind of tricks have been done, too. You've asked him a big question. Go ahead, Baptiste. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I think it was a, a talk between Cobble and Knapp uh, where they were debating. Uh, they imagined that they were talking to the military and trying to convince them of uh, opening the doors and talking about UFOs openly. And the, the national security guy uh, answered, but what are you going to do with that piece of information? For you, just for your curiosity. For us, it's a threat. So and I would use the same argument. Why are you looking toward intelligence that are literally paid to lie or the military that are literally paid to not talk? Hire scientists, cre create a hedge fund, hire scientists, fund them their tools, they will find the answer. In, in theory, the problem is capturing, is to be able to capture it, you know, and... and because the DOD already, and obviously not only the DRD, DOD, the NRO, you know, NASA has sensors. There's different um, satellite uh, agencies that have satellites that can see things that uh, and pick things up. And there's rate, you know, NASA has a, a massive radar in space. So um, that's the problem is that they've already funded and have all the sensors, and there's so much money involved. I think that's the challenge that Avi Loeb and his his crew are coming up with is fielding sensors. Uh, and proliferating them, it's, it's just a lot, a lot of money. I'm not saying it's impossible, but I think that's that's a challenge. I think that if half the community spent the energy they did uh, talking about Lazar and encouraging the Galileo project, we would advance much faster. Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. Uh, let me get a couple of questions in here that we have from Michael. Um, he asked first if you've ever, and we kind of asked you at this beginning, and it's probably before Michael logged on, but he says, Baptiste, have you had a life-changing experience? Every day is a life-changing experience. <laughs> you just need to baby. live and to breathe. He's damn right, man. Um, but yeah, he hasn't seen a UFO, Michael, if that's what you're asking. We we asked him that in the beginning. It wasn't an event. It was a, a question from one of his students uh, that started this all, because like any great teacher, he says, I don't have all the answers, but I'll find you the answer. And that's yeah. kind of like how I'm at work. If somebody asks me something, I'm like, you know, something I need to know or should know, I'll be like, I, I, I don't know. I will find, find you the answer. Or I'll find I, it would be unfair of me to let you say that I didn't see a UFO. Ooh, okay. I won't Let's say backtrack. More. Okay. You did? I answered that question. You did okay. You didn't. You did. You did answer this question. Somebody, 
uh, maybe I'm missing this. You did answer this question? Uh, yes. I said that it wouldn't f be fair from me to okay. let you say that I didn't see a UFO. Okay, he views so double negatives. So he's saying, okay, yes, yeah. yes, he saw one. He did. Okay. Well, you don't have to share it if you don't want to share it. It's okay. Um, this, uh, this question right there, what do you think about Skinwalker Ranch? Uh, are you willing to go there and be a ranch hand for a couple of weeks? Oh, I would pay to be there. Uh, I'm okay. a very good guinea pig. <laughs> Um, no, I would love to, to go there to be there. And I have a full brain scan uh, made by the, one of the best uh, hospitals in France uh, to, to check out and compare if I have brain damage afterwards. So if there's okay. no problem from me. I will sign any clause you want. Um, I, I would love to. And from every, you know, if I say that, it's because every contact that I trust told me that what they were doing was true. Okay, and so you're what you're. I mean, what do you think about that phenomenon? Have you developed any sort of hypotheses about the origins or origin, if it's a single one? What are you? What is your leading theory on what you think's? Well, it's uh, not even a theory; it's an idea. I like the okay. idea of uh, past Chernobyl, like something crashed, but it was a very, very nasty crash, like. Okay very and we have some reports of that usually when you have a, something that crashed either it just explodes in a thousand pieces or it stays in one block but you have a few reports where you have a, a ship that breaks in half and uh, you have the two pieces that are separated and i think that that type of disaster that could have happened and that explained a lot of uh, power spikes leaks of radiation that kind of stuff I love that theory. I mean, that that makes a lot of sense. Plus, obviously, the physical, um, uh, what would I call it? The barrier that they encountered in the Mesa where they they suspected it was dome shaped by the reaction of the drill bit after they drilled uh, horizontally into the Mesa. So that's interesting. And, and it's a great theory. Um, Julie asks our uh, chat moderator, Jules says, uh, this basically can go for Baptiste or any of the the folks here. Uh, any news about the big uh, the big right pat meetings with the big wigs that just happened recently? Do you know anything, Baptiste? I haven't. So I was looking for a reference for you. Uh, for, for the Skinwalker Ranch, there is a very very good book that has been written, and it predates the Skinwalker Ranch. It's called uh, Stalker by the Brothers Strugatsky, and it's a Russian uh, story, and it really describes the Skinwalker Ranch. So I, I would encourage everybody that is interested in the Skinwalker Ranch to read that uh, book. And I'm sorry I didn't have a question because I was looking for the reference. No, it's okay. Um... Julie's asking if you have or either Nathan or Deb has any info on the intel or the sort of uh, higher official meeting that, that was held at Wright-Pat recently, if you heard anything about that, yeah. the results of that. Uh, as, as far as I know, it was uh, related to the big leaks of uh, information from military intelligence on the Minecraft server, and not related to UFOs. But what was really interesting is that the... Uh, senator of the state uh, then later said that it was a very sobering uh, briefing he encountered, which is pretty scary when you think that it is military intelligence from the first power of uh, Earth. Did you hear anything, uh, Nathan, Deb? I, 
I heard that it was uh, also about that Reddit leak, and yep. that's what the focus was, the issue of security and confidentiality, or, yeah, the leak issue is what I heard. Yeah, I think it was the Discord leaks, yeah, so we said three different things, but I think it was Discord um, where that young uh, intelligence officer was, share, like, basically showboating on Discord and sharing a bunch of, you know, sensitive secrets. Um, but given it, the situation, we can be almost sure that they talk about the Chinese balloons at least. You would think, right? Uh, which I think is still an interesting topic that hasn't really been resolved in, at least in the public. Uh, and as far as I understand, not been resolved to the satisfaction of the Congress either, at least the, at least based on the public statements that they've made, they still don't really know much more than the public knows about whatever these objects were that were uh, shot down. So, um, you know, we, we can certainly say we think they were prosaic. We don't have any reason to believe that they weren't. But nevertheless, it's a little bit odd that uh, we can get a, a cockpit video of, uh, of, a, of a, was it a, a Re Reaper drone or something that was, uh, that was gassed over in the, you know, in the Baltic or something like that. They, mm -hmm. they released that like ASAP, but they won't release, uh, you know, shooting a sidewinder at a balloon. Uh, no, there are two objects that are very strange in the February shutdowns. Um, and Roscoe Chart had the same information. Uh, he, he said so publicly. So um, there is something very weird that is happening around uh, that February cases. Mm -hmm. I'd like to note about that is that it was really interesting how quickly UAP was used to discuss that, though. Um, mm -hmm. So it wasn't just like we put that title on it. They did. <laughs> yeah, um, I agree with Nathan. I I, we don't have any any evidence to say that it was something other than something prosaic or something that was launched by a global power competition nation, like obviously Russia or China. Um, but I can totally understand why they would not they would not uh, report the results of what they found. That is, in my mind, that's completely consistent with what they would do, which is to say we haven't found it yet. We're looking for it. We don't know what it was. Because once you define it, uh, depending upon what it was, then that it, you know we can get you can get into this this uh, uh, discussion about UAP writ large. But once you define, okay, yes, we found it, and this is what it was. Well, then whoever launched it, if it was one of these nations, and we think it was, we don't know for sure, because you know common sense would say that if this were another an, a non-human intelligence craft we're probably not going to be able to shoot it down with an f-22 the evidence you know given by you know everybody from folks that graham rendell has studied up you know up until uh 1976 with the iranian pilot uh or iranian pilot and say that correctly um so um we probably couldn't take down something that was of a non-human intelligence i would think without maybe a very specific type of weapon. So given that, it probably was human-made, and they probably don't want to characterize it for the public to let uh, those other intelligence services know how they've characterized it and how they've defined it. Just for the sake of the argumentation, I would oppose that they do crash. Sure, sure. No, I, but if uh, the the... The times when people say they've shot at them uh, hasn't been successful. I've heard of another um, through somebody that would know. 
uh, about a different aircraft that fired on one that's not as distant as 1976, and it, it was able to move out of the way predictively before rounds uh, collided with it. So um, I'm just I'm just taking a stab here, just what I think. I mean, all we can really do is speculate, right? I absolutely agree. Yeah, no, no missile ever touched one or uh, managed to shut down one. They are they, they love that missiles, but it doesn't mean that one time they won't find one that is already very damaged and isn't able to defend itself. Yes, that's true. I mean, it happened in Independence Day, so. Um, <laughs> so it, it is possible, but their response is, I believe, is consistent with what I would have expected them to do and say. That that part of it is is what I can, you know, how I would expect them to characterize, which is, hey, you know, we weren't able to find it, and when we do, we'll let you know, and that'll be in probably 2097. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> anyway, uh, let's put it up on the screen, uh, UAP check. Yep. All right, hold on a second here. Here we go. Oh. Yeah. Oh, we have a we have the full website if you want. Oh, please. please. Yeah. yeah. I turned yeah, it to you in share. the private chat. So awesome. it's just the backbone. It's a, it's a build we are working on, but it it will give you an idea. Okay. Thank you. Yeah. If you could, I got you. Grab that. There it is. It is HTTP colon. Uh, is that forward, sl forward slash UAP check.com? Um, that's awesome, man. Uh, you can bring really... in on the screen. I can uh, show you around if you want. Oh, sure. Yeah, I think you can uh, share a screen if you want. Go for it, brother. Um... So uh, Baptiste is about to show us uh, UAP check, this new tool, UAP reporting. How would you characterize if you were to say UAP check is a... Oh, it's a platform. It's a platform. It's an all-encompassing platform about if you everything you need about UAPs. So uh, there is three different parts inside the project. The first part is the news part, which will be the first launch in two weeks. Uh, what you see there is the backbone of it. So on the left part, you have a news aggregator. So it just links toward reliable pieces of content related to UAPs. It's automatically updated every hour. On the right part, we will have our own editorial board that will be publishing uh, more in-depth analysis about the subject and uh, fact-checking other pieces of information that are not that reliable. Then we will have, uh, at the end of summer, uh, the uh, UAP check software that will be the reporting software for the witness. And then, uh, at uh, so it would be in January, we will have the cultural part. So we want to organize art exhibits, concerts, conferences about UAPs, and to expand the subject towards the population. We really want to brief the population en masse uh, on UAPs. That's the basic idea. This is uh, it's it's very robust, very comprehensive in everything you're trying to do, right, Nathan? It looks great, and uh, you, 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 the screen that you showed reminded me you've been writing for the debrief. You've you've been uh, yeah. putting articles out from them, and to what degree if, can you talk to you know the collaborative effort there with the debrief and, and the UAP check? Is is there one? 
Uh, we, we are very good friends. Uh, it's just that the debrief is a gen general platform. It talks about everything about news, technologies, etc. We'll be very focused about UAPs. And uh, as a teacher, I'm also a defense teacher. So it's a bit of a word thing. But in France, we have what we call defense class. So it's class that are made with the army. So I'm, I, I have double job as teacher in defense and in art. And as I... I can't talk English when I'm not too tired, sorry. Uh, I started to write articles about uh, the French defense because we have the same problem of uh, barrier of language uh, with our army. So I wanted to give an opinion of uh, what we could do in France toward the military and speci specifically in the areas of UAP. So here you have an article about higher airspace. So that basically the limit between uh, the, the maximum altitude of a plane and the limit of space. And that's the area where we, in the limits 2004 event, you had uh, a rain of UFOs that were with, what was witnessed by Kevin Day. Yeah, like eighty thousand feet. I mean, there. I don't. I don't think there's an aircraft that could, that could get up that high with a traditional, turbine fan type engine. I don't even think. I don't know if you guys have, looked into that. I don't know what the the complete total ceiling is, but man, uh, eighty thousand feet. I mean, you wouldn't be able to do do a whole lot. <laughs> so if you could get up that, you're hanging on the, <laughs> hanging on the <laughs> engines with a high yeah. angle of attack. Mm -hmm. um, uh, not a lot of air to compress anyway. Oh, um, there is a, another thing I can show you. Uh, we just finished uh, the prototype of one of our exhibits. Uh, so I asked my students to create an art exhibit. Uh, and we worked with the UNESCO uh, to create artworks. So on the left are uh, the works of my students. Uh, the theme was uh, extraterrestrial landscapes. And then with the UNESCO, I offered that for each uh, artworks of one of my students, we would be uh, uh, exhibiting one of their art pieces in their collection. So that we just ended that, uh, that art exhibit, that one of the prototypes we are working on regarding cultural outreach uh, about that subject. That's awesome. It's also so cool that you are both dual hatting where you're teaching art and you're teaching uh, defense. And it's just so cool when um, when people are able to straddle these areas instead of, you know, you can do one but not the other because it's just important to being a well-rounded person and a sort of appreciation of all these things. Uh, so yes. I can only imagine uh, what kind of paintings you might have. Uh, you've done. <laughs> so that's great. It's tongues, pink tongues. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it, it's it's really something that we we push inside the project that we don't think that only one field will have the answer. We need a transdisciplinary push to find something reliable, uh, even as information. You, if you have radar data, you need to have ground uh, observer data from human intelligence to confirm that the radar isn't spoofed. So we really need to expand the field of research on UAPs. Yes, we need, you know, absolutely, you need to be able to leverage all these things. So it's it's irrefutable, whereas now it sort of opens the door for the uh, sort of basement, you know, debunkers to be able to say, oh, this isn't real. Well, I mean, the more of these kinds of things, like you say, when you can have corroborative data from different sources, 
and and probably on that Nimitz aspect, there's probably a significant, as Lou says, there's a lot more than what we haven't seen other than just Kevin Day's radar, the E-2 Hawkeye's uh, air traffic control radar, and then the, the aircraft's uh, spoofing of its radar, plus the uh, the visuals that they got, that there's more than that. So I'm sure they have some uh, Absolutely. Uh, geospatial. Um, anyway, tell people where they can find you, Mr. Baptiste. Oh, it will be on Twitter, at uh, Baptiste underscore Fry. Uh, that will be the, my main presence on the internet. And so, and when you guys, when you guys do end up having uh, those uh, uh, conferences or whatever over in France, and you need two people to introduce people on stage, Nathan and I are available. We will get the crowd fired up. <laughs> we will <laughs> talk about the previous guest and the next guest, and bring them on, baby! Yeah, <laughs> that's how we do it. Right. And if I may, uh, if any member of your audience or yourself, gentlemen and miss, uh, want to enlist and write a piece of article for us, you are more than welcome. Oh, wow. Oh. Thank you. Cool. All right. Yeah. If I, let me see if uh, something comes to mind and uh, I'll make sure I put it through Nathan's editorial process before <laughs> I send it to you. Stringent so. editorial <laughs> process. Yes. Yes. Now, we really want that platform to be open to anyone. So... Really reach out to us. We are open to every contact. We are, we are not blinding anyone. Wow. I, 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 I was, I was going to say, I love what you're doing, but let, let's, let's go with Cabby goodbyes, and then I'll get to a little bit of that in my closing. Go ahead, Debs. Um, so, again, thank you so much for everything that you are doing. I'm really excited by a comment you made earlier about disclosure. Um, I feel like we should have a giant international competition and see who gets the gold medal in disclosure. <laughs> we, we are preparing Olympics. something. We are preparing something. <laughs> yes, let's do it. Let's make it an Olympics disclosure event. So thank you very much again. And please come again. Oh, thank you very much. And here with the discus throw is Nathan. Yeah, we <laughs> exactly. Let me spin real quick. Uh, we are big fans of Baptiste, uh, and uh, it's just great to have you back with us. Uh, we are watching what you're doing very closely and, and rooting for you. And uh, I, I agree with Deb. I mean, if we can just put our collective will together to trying to crack this, uh, there's not a lot we can't accomplish once the world gets united in trying to solve something. Uh, amazing things can happen. So I'm hoping that that's what occurs, and I'm hoping that in that effort, it will unite us in a way that maybe we've not been united in a long time or maybe ever, uh, which would be really terrific. So um, thank you. We'll keep keep in touch and hopefully have you back again, again soon to, to give us an update. Anytime you want. Yeah, brother, uh, um, like you said earlier, um, you, you alluded to it. If you're part of the UFO Twitter community and you're thinking about that, you want to take a shot, you really want to take a shot at somebody in the community, you know, leave that shot aside and just use that energy towards figuring it out. What can you do to move it forward? And Deb also basically spoke to that as well. And so did uh, Baptiste. Uh, I want to thank you for uh, including Cab in, in, in this and reaching out to me to tell me about this exciting thing, which I immediately went and <laughs> told the cabbies all about it. It's it very exciting, and what you're doing for the community is gigantic. Uh, there's something about not just talking, it's doing, yeah. and thank goodness uh, uh, that these other folks that have developed this software found you uh, because you do have a, 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 a great face in the community. 
So, and like I said, if you have other folks that are from France that want to engage with us that speak English, uh, that's, that's our only requirement until I get a French Canadian on the show and then we can get, you know, we can get somebody to translate. But um, I'm trying to, but the language barrier is a real problem for us. No, I know. No, I know. I, not everybody needs to speak English, but if there is somebody, you know, that's our only sort of limitation. And I say it yeah. that way. It's not a requirement. It's just a, a limitation. And uh, but anybody that you know that that you trust that you think would like to speak with us, uh, sure. we are game. Uh, we want this uh, to be open to to many other countries and and as many as we could get. Quite frankly, we would like to get them on our our schedule and get their thoughts and opinions and and people that they've known, talked to, and what's happened culturally and and nationally for them. So thank you very much, Baptiste. Uh, we really really do appreciate it. Um, go and check him out on Twitter. Give us a like and a subscribe. One love to everybody out there. And for uh, Debs, for Nathan, for Bautista, this is DJ saying peace out. One love. We'll see you down the road. And as always, we're wondering what's up around the bend. Subscribe. Subscribe. <laughs>